Yeah. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to Mad Gains. Hold on, I gotta turn this shit up. It's Friday. It's Friday the 13th. Naturally, I bring you guys the Freak Godfather. Ooh, yeah. All right. Welcome to Mad Gains Live. I am Cassandra Gaines, your host. We have a lot of new people. Okay. I see you, Mike. Yes, this is my dispatch headset. Okay. You can make fun, but you guys can hear me really well like this. You know, everybody makes fun of me because my dispatch headset, fine. Um, we are going to have some very special guests. One guest you guys have never seen on the show. Um, so he's a special treat. One is the Freight Godfather, who we all know. And we're going to introduce to you a new pricing and operations model that you haven't heard anywhere else. So it's, it's new for reals, not like marketing spin new. It's new for real. Uh, so we have three sponsors, but I'm excited about this. Okay. First, OTR Capital. Y'all know I love OTR Capital because they don't play games. So for my brokers, shippers, and carriers, actually, they don't play games with transactions, with termination fees. It's easy. They do the back office work. So they will treat you like a family. So OTR Factoring, reach out to Grace, and you have a bunch of people who are going to be in the comments. Andrew Teal is in the house and already admiring Ron's shirt, but not my shirt. Okay. Um, I'll remember that, Andrew. Lean staffing. All right. Here's the thing about lean staffing. People hear about lean staffing. They know everybody uses lean staffing, but I don't think some people know exactly what to use lean staffing for. So I came up with a couple examples for you guys. So pay attention. Uh, a lot of back office work they can handle for you. So don't worry about hiring people. You can choose lean staffing instead. So POD retrieval, you've got data entry, customer service, you've got dispatch. And you have, uh, oh, debt collecting. I thought that one was a good one. And tech support. So reach out to my folks at lean staffing. They're all in the comments as well. So I have a special treat for you guys today. Hold on. Fucking hair's in my way all the time. Um, special treat. Swan Leap. All right. They've sponsored before, but uh, Brad Hollister, the CEO, he has decided to give Madtropolis a very special uh, offer. Uh, hold on. I got to read what he sent me. He said that for Madtropolis members, go to the link that's in the description in every feed you have. Brian Parker's in the house. Um, and he will give you guys six months free access to the TMS. Six fucking months. Six months, people. He's got a good TMS. It's not clunky. It's not old. It's already integrated with a lot of shippers. So hop to it. Go to the link after the show. Not now. And that is my opening. So now I'm going to introduce you to our guests. Um, we will pull up. How do you do like the little thank you? We've got new tech. So I'm not the one responsible for the tech. Uh, welcome to the show. We've got, we got the Freight Godfather. And then we've got Ryan, who's new. R Ryan, look, you're in a cabin, it looks like. Yes, in, that's confirmed I'm in a cabin. Uh, smart ass. <laughs> Look at him, he's already proud of himself already. And uh, what's, where are you in this cabin? Like, are you in Wisconsin? I am, I'm in Wisconsin. When I used to work for Schneider, um, right around this time frame, the entire floor would be dead because they're out there shooting innocent animals. Is that what you're doing in your cabin too? 
I'm watching the innocent animals uh, poop all over the lawn right now. We don't shoot them over here. So, Andrew Tia wants to know where in Wisconsin are you? I'm in Minocqua, Wisconsin at a place called Camp Kawaga, which my four sons go to. So uh, just enjoying the quiet time up here and uh, appreciate you having me all by myself today with Rama. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of sarcasm there. Um, one time when I lived in Green Bay because I worked for Schneider, uh, Andrew Teal will appreciate this. Uh, and so will the freight coach, Chris Jolly, because he's from Wisconsin as well. Um, <laughs> have you ever been pheasant hunting? Pheasant, that's the bird, right? Yeah, pheasant hunting. Have you ever been? All right, so in Green Bay, I went. It was traumatizing. They had, it was just like the Hunger Games. They, they you, you like rent a spot. They drop the pheasants into a quadrant. They tell you where the pheasants are. They drop them right when you arrive. You're already drunk. I didn't do this. By the time you arrive. And you just shoot the things. And Drunk. drunk. Oh, yeah. Everything in Wisconsin is being done drunk. Mm. And then the dogs go get the poor birds and bring them back. You literally have to do no work. It's a hunger game. And you did this for a transportation company? Schneider doesn't sponsor this after that type of rave review. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't go quadrant <laughs> killing pheasants. I just keep remembering that every time you guys talk about hunting and Ron with his chainsaw. Um, so I guess we should get to the show. Ron, <laughs> Ron, Freight Godfather, could you please introduce yourself for those few people who do not know you? Um, Ron, I've been in supply chain for about 30 years, all with um, large bottling companies, um, on canning companies, Nestle, Monster Energy, Stone Brewing, and Pabst. Very nice. And what beer are you drinking today? I'm drinking a non-alcoholic IPA today. Athletic Brewing. It's very good. I say non-alcoholic. I, I don't, I, I'm not a fan of uh, IPA. I drink pale ales, the Hefeweizens. Those are good. The IPAs. Always good. Uh, Ryan, for no one here that has not had been in, in freight for as long as we have, they have not seen you yet. You are brand new <laughs> on the screen. You're a yeah. new victim. So could you introduce yourself? Um, my name is Ryan and I'm a Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> I like long walks on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Um, basically got the had my we started a business called AFN or Advantage Freight Network mm, and uh, built it to a, almost a little over a quarter billion dollars and uh sold it in October 2018. And I was lucky enough to have a relationship with Ron at one of his shipper businesses um and helped him uh manage his transportation. And um where do you normally live, or is that cabin thing? Chris Jones, crack me up. Okay, sorry. The cabin is that where you live permanently, or I'm working on trying to get out of Illinois before it's too late. So we'll see. Oh my my, my wife will disagree with me. Worst. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a yacht? Uh, no, we have like a couple of ski boats. If you're interested in learning how to slalom, though. Not a very good swimmer. Um, we have someone here who has a yacht um, because they're pretty big time. I won't say any names. It's not. It's not Ron. Not yet. Wait, Ron. Do you have a yacht? No. <laughs> no. Um, for those of you who are wondering why we're here today, Ron has a. We've all Ryan and I and a couple other people who were too fearful to join the show. 
we were involved in a unique idea that you guys are going to love to hear about today uh, that Ron created. Ron, could you tell us, like, tell us what got you to this idea and the lead up so people can have the background story? Uh, yeah, I guess the short version, uh, too many hours on airplanes. Um, and for those of you that have been watching Cassandra's show for a while, we did the the supply chain of beer and talked about cans. Um, what a lot of folks probably don't know is that can manufacturers, because they're capacity constrained, that at certain times of the year, they'll actually cover each other. So if you're a customer of Rexum or was Rexum, is now Arda or Ball, um, or even um, MCC uh, or cork, Crown Cork and Seal, when they run out, they'll actually make each other's cans. Um, so you might have at certain times what was then a Wrexham can with a Wrexham logo that was actually made by Ball. And the reason they did that is they can maintain the capacity within the entire supply chain, the industry, um, and you can cover your capital costs by tapping into other people's capacity. They do it at costs that are consistent. So they don't touch each other's finances. They don't get into um, non-competitive or violate any NDAs. It's kind of something that's just known in the industry. I'm um, speaking of Wisconsin, um, dairy co-ops work the same way um, to where you have individual companies that will join in a dairy co-op to take advantage of consistent manufacturing, consistent distribution, um, and a lot of time on planes. And one of the challenges I was having um, at this shipper was the fact that we had about 164 carriers. Um, they were all fine. They did a good job. The problem was I spent just way too much time managing every single issue mm -hmm. with 164 carriers. Um, our on-time uh, delivery rate was in the low 90s which wasn't bad given the amount of deliveries we had. But frankly, I was up to 30% of my time just dealing with bullshit. Um, so ended up on a plane actually sketching out an idea of could I create an, an aluminum can model with transportation companies. So pick the core carriers that I wanted under very specific criteria, but instead of creating a core carrier program or a managed freight program, create a transportation co-op. Um, so Ryan's company was one of the companies that was part of it. Um, there were four other carriers that became part of it. Um, so that was the short idea. Then I spent about two months putting together all of the very specific criteria ideas, how the heck I was going to do it. And the biggest challenge was going to be, how do you go from 164 carriers on day X to five carriers on day Y. And that's where a lot of the work really went into. And Ryan and his team were a very, very big part of it. What was your freight spend? Actually, from the bigger, from a broader perspective, like for uh, how much, yeah. you know what I'm getting at. A part of my PL was about 12% at the time. I mean, but that's going back a couple of years. Um, it was about 12% of my spend. It was about at that time, 30 to 40% of my time, um, where at the end of the day, it wasn't putting product on the shelves. And that's where it was just really the disconnect and I couldn't get it to increase um, just, just because the network was just too disparate. Uh, question from one of my favorite people, Matt Fink. He says, 
Uh, when did you do this? I think you said a couple of years ago. Uh, does it still apply today? Um, or were you an early mover in the space with this idea? Uh, with this specific idea for freight, and I guess it's, it's better asked to the five carriers that were working with me on it. We were the first ones to put together something like this because the specifics weren't just um, a core carrier program. It was more the carriers actually needed to work together. Um, it was self-managed um, and self-owned. So they managed all aspects of it. We still did RFPs, but I think the biggest thing, and I know Cassandra put it in um, the teaser for the show, um, the expectation was 100% tender accept with one exception is that if you could not carry that load, it didn't come back to me. It went to the automatic backup um, and the carriers created that entire network on their own. So I did a lot of things to try to make sure that the carriers could be successful in setting up mini networks. Um, so they had regional bases that they carried um, around the country. They had for lack of a better term, guaranteed lanes, or at least that was the intent. Um, and there was a lot of um, moving around. We determined what percentages of the network they could have as the network grew, but there was a lot of, at least I tried to build in some safety valves that if, you know, if the business grew inordinately in the Northeast, that didn't necessarily meant that the carrier that had the Northeast was gonna recoup, was gonna get that. The intent was the whole network would have the opportunity to grow at the same rate because um, my my intent was the carriers could remain their profit base but they had to go find the regional carriers that they were going to use and the only way they could do that was by having guaranteed revenue and volume coming in so ryan when ron came to you about this idea or when you first heard this idea what were some of your thoughts <clears throat> I I thought it was innovative and smart, you know. And I was, you know, obviously happy to be part of it. I think that there's no reason to have a full infrastructure for what we are paid to do. You know, we we understand how to uh, arbitrage the transportation of these businesses. We have a larger grip on what the entire market is doing as opposed to just what his shipper was doing. And he knew that he could he would trust us to self police, you know, that as long as there were scorecards on time, you know, on time acceptance, on time delivery, on time pickups. So he's managing his infrastructure. He doesn't have HR, you know, he doesn't have mm -hmm. all the different orientations to manage. He found his best partners and they committed to servicing the business. And every single one of us wanted another dollar's worth of business. So it wasn't as if, we all were smiling, but we all knew at the same time that like, Hey, if you know, if you can't handle that, maybe we can handle that. So, and it was laugh, ha ha, but we meant it. And Ron, it was really an intelligent way to keep us together. Yeah. So did you try to convince Ron like, Hey, fun idea, Ron, how about you just give us all your freight instead? And then you don't have to manage five. You could just manage one, Ron. Manage trans. That. Remember that's not, that we ever got that's to not that new to the industry. Right. I won't. I. Uh, I think that when he went from, as he said, 164 carriers to five, uh, you know, there's a, whatever to say about pigs and hogs. We we figured it was a great opportunity, and it, frankly, it was really fun to be able to see our competitors and how they work and function too. You know, we got yeah. to see who the innovative, smart people were on those other organizations and how they operate. So we got to 
just self-improve just in seeing how other people were managing their business differently than we were. Ron, did you think about doing just a managed trans deal with just one? No, I had done some managed trans deals at uh, Nestle. Um, Nestle had, this goes back to cheese at this point, I'm old. So about 30 years um, as they were growing so rapidly, they put in some managed trans and I'm, um, if it's in the right place with the right carrier, I think it could be really successful. You can do some really good things with it. Um, the challenge was is that I would have to go to one of the massive transportation companies to do it. Um, yeah. But the biggest thing for me and, and Ryan sort of and you know talked about it a bit, the way I structured it, it was going to be self-policing, whereas managed trans or a cost plus model, it's hard to police it unless I want to do all the work tracking down whether it's DAT or it's CAS or something else to try to figure it out. And the intent was, I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I can get insight into the industry as a whole to make sure that I understand what I'm paying versus the industry. Um, but I don't want to have to manage these guys and they manage themselves. So we did um, a lot of different things that I think they were surprised about when I put it together. Because the first meeting, I put them all in the conference room um, and there were owners and CEOs of the companies that came um, and then told them that they were all going to work together um, and work together for me. Um, and like literally we had quarterly co-op meetings where yeah. they all sat together and had to work on different problems that were coming up. They would give me industry insight as to things that were going on and then figure out how to solve them. So it was the self-policing worked and the one thing it that 100% really worked. I personally experienced it. It was the, very cool. I think that the, having the backup carrier and Ryan said it, we all want a dollar. So it was real quick. If somebody was going to be a little bit off on what the hell was going on in a specific lane or a couple of lanes, uh, their competition would let them know it real quick. And we could figure it out because we had blind bids or they weren't bids. They were just, this is what your rates are. So it's not an RFP. But if yeah. You know, AFN's the backup on 30 different lanes and they come in at 8% lower than the primary. It'd be like, uh, okay, what changed? But we didn't treat that as, you know, AFN's trying to steal lanes. It was always a, what is AFN seeing on these lanes that's different in the marketplace that either we're not seeing or the primary's not seeing. Yeah. Um, primary would then have an option to go ahead and match those rates or they could lose them. Um, so it was... It was pretty organic in the way that it moved, um, and it, it took me, I mean, just the, the, the top side KPIs, it went from 30% of my time to about 5% of my time because I didn't have to deal with it anymore. My on-time delivery rate went above 97% within six months. Um, Accessorial wow. claims next to disappeared because folks were keeping it honest. I mean, it just... Everything I wanted it to accomplish, it accomplished. And the biggest thing I wanted to accomplish was to get out of, and I realize this is an exceptional time as far as freight uh, rate volatility, but I got out of a lot of volatile freight rates because I didn't, I think these guys remember, I, I basically abolished seasons. There was no such thing as Christmas tree season, no more such thing as produce season. And you weren't allowed to talk about uh, carrier shortages or driver shortages. So it, it worked um, and it, it worked for several years. The, we have a lot of questions rolling in and I'll get to them, you guys, in just a second. I can see them with my new little tool uh, that my buddy, Zeke, who's helping me out. I have all your questions right here. Hi, May. Um, but I want to illuminate a couple things. Um, 
first of all, I personally was involved with this and I've been involved in my career with a lot of managed trans uh, arrangements. Um, and, and it was interesting, Ron, to see, um, the, the co-op arrangement because the self-policing really did work. And it was, it was, we were all friends, but at the same time, we would totally freaking rat each other out for stuff. And then Ron would literally, <laughs> you're laughing, Ryan, but it's so true. <laughs> but we would speak to yourself, speak to yourself. <laughs> so we would, um, you know, and then Ron would literally, you know, he looked, he took it as a team approach. I think we were all looking at it as like, yeah, that that guy's nice and all, but I'll take his lanes any day this week. Um, so I'm just making kind of that up. That's what I was thinking in my head uh, <laughs> as a vicious lawyer. Um, but it was interesting because Ron would tell us like, hey, you over there, Cassandra, you're weak in this. So go sit with Ryan for a week and figure out why he's good at this. And if you don't agree, yo out. And it wasn't like I'm paraphrasing, but it was that kind of policing that I loved and the friction that kept us all performing. Um, and, uh, and you know, Ryan, I don't know if you've ever heard of cargo net when they announced stolen loads. Yeah. I'm familiar. I was just saying, I used to watch that for AFN. How'd that look? All right, go let, ahead. Let me know my cargo net statistics. I'd be curious. You could put that on here. Yeah, you guys were really good, actually. Um, so, uh, so we got to back up though because we have a lot of questions coming in. Um, first of all, Ryan, um, someone had a question for you. Was oh, Robert, right? My buddy Robert, uh, is this a truckload co-op? And do you think this could work with LTL, Ryan? Uh, it was a truckload co-op. It was largely non-asset based. I think that it could work in LTL. I think that LTL is very disruptible right now. Uh, it is, while fragmented, not as fragmented and not as focused on. And, uh, you know, again, Ron's freight has always been a way out before it cubes out. So there hasn't been opportunities for a lot of, uh, you know, added efficiency amongst shippers. But I think it's very opportunistic in LTL as well. But you got to have decent uh, order size density. I think anything, you know, average order size should be six, seven, 10 pallets in order to find real density. One, two pallets are, those are tough shippers to partner with. Ron, yours, it was a hundred percent truckload. You had no LTL, no, any of that jazz? Tiny, tiny, tiny LTL, tiny LTL and tiny um, air and ocean freight. Just, just, we had one person that managed the whole thing. It just wasn't that big a part of it. So how did you two decide on a contracted rate? Because Ron would come to you and say, hey, when, in summer, when everybody's like getting drunk. Um, we ran, didn't run RFPs, but we ran two, two cycles for when the freight rates would be set. Um, basically, one was a summer rate, one was a winter rate, knowing that we had some seasonality. Um, and I didn't go to anybody. I mean, my team would push out the spreadsheet because everybody's got a stupid spreadsheet. Um, we'd go to the folks that were pricing it, but it was, I mean, I think about the RFPs I ran before this to what I was able to pull together after. I mean, it would be a two week exercise because you're not trying to drastically change things. You're just looking at some of the market changes within very specific lanes, but that bid 
exercise was not the first time we talked about it because we had the quarterly co-op meetings. And then I had also scheduled top to tops with each of the five companies that would happen, you know, dependent on various times. So there was a lot of communication more around what was going on in the industry than, you know, I'm bitching because you can't get out of Springfield for 13 loads and all the other crazy stuff. It just changed the conversation dramatically. So when the, the bids came in, there would usually be something that somebody was off on that just looked funny, but it was always in comparison to their backup. So then, it, but the nice thing was I could literally get on the phone with AFN and whoever the backup was together and go, okay, my assumption was always, I don't distrust what you're telling me. So just tell me what you see that they might not see. And I always treat it as, look, if you can't do it AFN and make a profit, that's cool. They're going to take it. Like it's mm -hmm. not, it's, it's, a business decision in that I always looked at my partners in the fact that they were companies that needed to make a profit. Um, so we just need to figure out what that was. You know, my thought was, I don't want you to get independently wealthy off of me, but I want you to be able to receive a profit that makes sense um, and can keep your company growing because we intend to keep growing. Mm -hmm. You don't want anybody to, you know, go out and buy a cabin and retire and, <laughs> and just live life. So Ryan, <laughs> how did you price truckload or how did you, how did you decide and trust Ron and price this truckload flat rate? Because lately I've been reading some of the, um, Andrew Teal keeps me up to date on all this stuff. I'm not cool, but he sends me all the articles on um, different companies, uh, quarterly reports, um, for in financials, and a lot of the companies that have to honor the shippers' rates right now are taking a bath um, with contracted rates. So, how did you know that wouldn't be you? Or when the spot market's um, low, uh, Ron wouldn't just take back the freight and toss it back onto the spot market. I think that <clears throat> we are probably priced on the higher side. If you know, if Ron's being honest, uh, we were always you know fairly conservative on the markets we were servicing with the idea of that it is twelve months. And you know, again, different care. If you talk to the carrier and you explain that the shipper is a fair one, because most of these carriers know most of the shippers anyway. But if the if the carrier understands that the shipper is literally going to give you the freight year round they will be stable with that rate. And if I pay the carrier faster than the shipper does, they're even more happy. You know, if I'm managing their claims, they're even more happy. So I'm a, I'm a great partner to my carrier first. And if mm -hmm. I have the ability to be a great partner to my carrier and I have the ability to say, hey, this company, Ron, is, is willing to guarantee me that he's going to keep this volume stable, you know, weekly, not monthly, not like, Hey, we're going to give you the business at the end of the month, not the beginning. You know, a lot of these shippers, you know, let's just talk about it. Those shippers sleep around. They're all looking for the cheapest price. And then they're going to say that you have 20% of it uh, when you probably only have 10, but you're, they're sitting there and they're playing the game and they're holding you and committing you to a rate. And then now to your point, rates are through the roof and every shipper is expecting these carriers to hold their ground. And by the way, Uber and companies like them that aren't trying to make money are keeping these rates artificially lower. Mm -hmm. So it's a shame on them for putting mm -hmm. these carriers in a position where they have to be so volatile with their rates and, and not you know, treating the people with integrity that are sleeping around. Ron held his, uh, his word. He was true to it. I knew he'd be true to it. 
And so we, we were willing to make that investment into him and his business and make sure that he shined. And, you know, I obviously am rooting for his company to be successful because if his team is successful and they can regulate what their pricing is, they know that the rates aren't going to vacillate the way some of these are now where their business becomes bad because the shippers can't uh, move the freight at the, the same price. Like th that is incredibly opportunistic to a smart selling team. So Ron just made the job that much more simple, stabilized it, and everybody won with him. It was fantastic. I had, I saw a really good question. Um, it was a super good question. While I look at it, I have one more question to ask Ron. Ron, what kept you from being a freight slut? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I think it goes back. I was going to add to it. I, I think that the, what did and what ties to Ryan, because it's interesting, you said it was a little bit on the higher side. It was on the higher side. If you compare the, you know, if I could pay a thousand bucks for a lane and I might be able to get it on the spot market for nine and a quarter or 900. The difference was though, I didn't have to grow my transportation department by building this. So I saved on labor dollars. I eliminated a significant chunk of claims that I didn't have to manage. My accessorials came in correct every time. So I didn't have to spend finance dollars and tracking stuff down. I can ensure I paid my carrier partners immediately based on the bill of layings that came in. So I didn't have to track that down. I mean, so when you start to add up all of the different things, mm -hmm. yeah, if I pay a thousand dollars for that load, that's just what I'm paying the carrier like day one, except then I've got all this back office and all this other weirdness that happens that people tend not to pay any attention to that I eliminated it all. So my freight rates in total, which I tracked to the PL, actually went down. So if you're a carrier, you're great because I've got a pretty consistent rate and I've got, you know, we were talking about it yesterday. You know, for me, the easiest example is that we had, we as a shipper ended up actually helping a carrier in Denver grow. You know, they were a small mom and pop carrier. They were, you know, a couple of tractors and four or five trailers. We kept them busy all year long. And what was nice is when rates would skyrocket because it was summer and they were going after bottled water or something. Nope. We kept paying our 1400 bucks because they knew that when rates were 100 bucks, they were still going to get their 1400 bucks and they were able to grow their business responsibility. And, you know, we tried to be good partners that way to make sure that I wanted an entire fleet of these small regional carriers that to Ryan's point, they could trust us because they knew that we would take care of them. And so being a freight slut might make you happy the minute you do it, but you're still going to go home sad the next day with your underwear in your purse. It's, oh, that was good. <laughs> that was so good. And I'll tell you that one reason I've heard, because we do have a lot of supply chain folks watching today, uh, probably the majority are supply chain folks, actually, because I nagged the shit out of them to show up here. Um and one thing that I was super curious about, because I hear a lot of supply chain folks uh, say, and shippers say, I don't want to be a freight slut, but the people up top make me be a freight slut. So Matt Fink had a great question. <clears throat> he said, what was Ron's, and I'm curious about this too, what was Ron's boss's response to, hey, I got an idea. Curious if his leader was involved um, and what the reaction was to this and the internal sell if necessary, which I know is a big question for everybody else watching this too. Yeah, I think that it's probably a little bit unfair because it's a little bit easier because I ran um, 
the entire supply chain for North America at the time. So it wasn't like I was a, you know, a freight manager going up to a director who had to talk to a vice president. I, mean, I, I was high enough in the organization that I didn't have a whole lot of folks to go above me. Um, I've had a reputation of innovation previously. So it's not like this is the first time I came up with something a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, the difference was for this one, I didn't go to him with just the framework of, I, I want to do this, knowing I had to answer every question that he could conceivably come up with before I walked in that door. So I had, and I mean, for me, the biggest one, how the hell are you going to get rid of 159 carriers that we've been relying on for decades um, and not forget the relationship part, not that that's not important because we all had good relationships right. with them. It's more, how are you going to do it from a business standpoint? Um, so that was a lot of what Ryan and the team, we spent a lot of a lot of meetings talking about how the hell are we going to do this? So when I went in, I said, look, I've already met with them. I know what this is what I want to do. This is how I lay it out. Um, and it was, and I've said this before, it was, look, I, I trust you. I think you can do it. Are you willing to put your job on the line? Because if this fails, this fails a whole lot of people in a really bad way. If you think that you can make it successful, that that's great. Equally, if this really screws up, this really does sit on your plate. And I had the conversation with the co-op that if you don't think that I'm invested in this, you're wrong. Because if it fails, I get fired. So, yeah, there's yeah. there's great dollars involved and profit dollars. But you screw me. I will literally be gone and this whole thing blows up and you're back to carrying 20 loads a week. Uh, Ryan, have you seen anybody else implement this idea in the industry? No. I haven't either. No. Um, why, why do you think that is? I think that Ron had a bigger job than most people that are focused on the, you know, the day-to-day -day truckload volume. I think that he had the ability to manage all of it and, uh, the ability to reconcile what his, what the cost was in that situation, not have to be worried about his job being in jeopardy. Um, you know, these transportation managers all play the game a lot of the, pretty much the same way. Um, and if they're, if they have the, you know, if they're concerned about whether they're going to have a job next year and playing it year to year, month to month, then they're going to beat every carrier down. No one's playing the game with the same level of confidence Ron was and, and is. And I just think that if, if someone had the courage to be different to Ron's point, you could understand how this is very scalable with the right third party logistics partners. Makes sense. So where were the problems here? Well, the problems initially, frankly, was probably the first 30 days was just the, without putting too fine a point on it, just the abject fear of how the hell is this going to work? I mean, this was a big enough deal that I got legal involved. We wrote 159 letters from the legal team that I signed, that we sent certified mail to the carriers. And, you know, some of the carriers were small. Some of them were very, very big. And the tough part is you, you spend a whole lot of time about why, you know, why, why am I not involved? And, you know, and th the answers were varied, but they were meaningful. Um, and you put a lot of people that had a lot of business with us, unfortunately, in a position where that business was going away. Um, but it was... I asked every single carrier to keep true to the loads that they were tendered. Um, and for the most part, they actually did. 
um, which to give respect to the industry, they did exactly what they said they were going to do. Um, but I planned for, because I remember it was March 1st, I planned for March 1st that, oh shit, we're screwed. Can you guys pick it up? And you know, I know that the, the carriers and the co-op spent a lot of time doing a, okay, I've got 30 loads on the books now. I might have 300 loads on Monday. How in the hell am I going to pull this off? Yeah. Um, so that was tough. Uh, and the other parts is really, it's keeping it together. It was a lot of fun, met a lot of good folks, um, a lot of really smart folks. Um, but it's it's a lot like herding cats when you got five different companies that all run very different ways, very different thoughts, very different focuses, some, you know, AFN that eventually were going to be bought by somebody else. Some of them were public companies. Some of them were just had, you know, asset based. They wanted to grow their trucks. So very different views on what they wanted to do from a business. And then you've got to do it to where they're in sync on what I want to do. And I think one of the biggest challenges, and you mentioned it, I was pretty steadfast in that if you did something better, so if you as legal, I mean, you became the legal benchmark for everybody and uh, not everybody liked that, but it was also yeah. you know, somebody did something better. It was like, okay, I just want this way because this makes my life easier. And you guys are shit. I don't want to do it this way. Yeah. And uh, uh, one question popped up from uh, the freight coach, Chris Jolly. He says, and I was curious about this too, Ron. Um, what are the differentiating factors eliminating the last five providers? Like what separates the top 10 from the top, from your five that you selected? Yeah, five. This is really terrible. Five was, I didn't go into it with the thought of I want five or three or 10. Um, what really... When I started to sketch it out and what I wanted, I wanted a criteria and the criteria led me to five versus I get to five. So I wanted companies with which I already had an incredibly good customer service level. So they were already on time. They were already very good at managing things like claims, like accessorio. So those must haves were there. Um, they had the ability to scale to the need. I needed them to scale. I wanted the ability to have access to the top leaders or the top decision makers. So I didn't necessarily have to sit down with the owner or the CEO, but if it was the COO or the head of carrier sales or whoever it was, it was making the decision. Um, I wanted to be able to tap into them if needed. Um, I wanted to make sure that they're from a technology standpoint, that they were leading edge versus a follower. Um, so, I mean, those were the things and it ended up, being five, and I will admit I was biased towards I wanted non-asset based um, because I didn't want to deal with the issues of asset based around someone trying to, you know, move their freight to a different part of the country or something else. I wanted them to build small regional networks within their own portfolio of the business. Makes sense. Um, Ryan. Ron, you, I just, I want to, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Ron, when you, when you took it in a regional approach, what did that do in terms of keeping your rates from getting inflated as a large number by not having five or six carriers stepping over each other in the same market, as opposed to having one calling the, yeah. the same. Carrier? No, and that's, I, I remember that conversation coming up. So it's funny, Ryan's remember because of the way we did it before, and the way the nature is, if you have enough brokers in your network, you have two or three brokers calling the exact same company to move the exact same loads because they're either on the board or they're tenant or you're chasing them around. And we would have 
quite often, like I'm sure a lot of shippers do, you have transportation company XYZ calling you up and like, I got three brokers calling me on this damn load and it's up by a thousand bucks. And that was the one thing that by regionalizing it, but also there was an expectation that you didn't call each other's transportation companies within that network, that it was to keep them whole, but you could bid it. And that's where the, the secondary bid came in place because right. if there was a new carrier or a different carrier, different carrier expansions that somebody frankly wasn't doing their homework on and missed. Um, or you had somebody based in Denver and now they're going to do, you know, a, they're going to build a satellite business in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I know it because I'm already dealing with them. You can take advantage of those rates, which would change the, the secondary, um, the rate process. For those of you who are just joining us, we are talking about a unique uh, pricing model and operations model that Ron had for truckload market. Um, and it's something that Ryan and I haven't seen in the industry since then. Um, and I want to let you know that I said this earlier, but you can see who the uh, sponsors are. Swan Leap giving us six months free to their TMS. I just, I love that. They love us. So uh, we have a question popping in from, of course, the famous Andrew Thiel, who is on his way to kill innocent deer in his cabin. Um, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying. Uh, Ron, outside the box and looking back at this, how scalable do you think this idea is? How large before it dies in its own weight? Hmm. I think looking back at it, the size that it dies under its own weight is really dependent on the shipper's commitment to it. Um, I was fiercely committed to it and watched it grow pretty significantly over a couple of years. Um, and then it kept on going on its own. Um, but then it, it's like anything. If the shipper isn't committed or think that it continues to, to pay dividends, you know, to your point, if they want to chase rates or do something else, it'll collapse under the weight of the shipper's lack of interest versus the size of the network. Um, because it was a really big network that we were working on. It was a lot of trucks going um, every single month. Ryan, what did, how did you, when you, okay, first of all, how'd the conversation go when y'all first had your co-op meeting? Like your first meeting, it didn't have to be a co-op meeting, but you all were in the same room. Like, what was that like? It's just a matter of a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of alphas trying to figure out who the, you know, who was going to sort of take charge and how to keep Ron happy. Cause it was a big substantial opportunity for all of us to have a commitment from a shipper who was sort of looking back and let 159 carriers go like we knew that we had to make him look good we knew we had to be successful we knew that he trusted in, in us and we were going to trust him back so it you know again like not having his freight on the dat you know what what were my claims percent what was my theft what was the all these percentages happened better because he knew that we were going to take care of his freight and give it to the appropriate carriers we weren't going to have someone who was shopping it and would have a few cents cheaper on a dat so that we could uh you know make a few more dollars in the short term you know we were resourceful he knew it he was resourceful we knew it so it was it was it's a match made in heaven <laughs> oh my god okay the bro bromance has to stop because i need i need now ryan to pick on ron and ron to pick on ryan and then it'll make my show more fun for me um ryan so what is that about the dat like you you when you guys weren't posting the shipments on the dat anymore yeah no no shipping on, no, 
utilization on our customer freight that we cared we cared about that weren't sleeping around, as I said earlier. <laughs> but you had these shipments that Ron gave to you, so you didn't use load boards at all? No. Was that a rule, Ron? No, nope. it was my vision was to create regional carrier customers um, for them. How they did it, they did it, I think. But for me, it was really easy to track if they were doing it. Because um, oh, we'd ride each other. I had enough people that I was picking up with or delivering to. And before, and I said I, I would spend up to 30% because I would get phone calls from any one of the delivery places on don't. And every week I had somebody calling me say, you're not allowed to use Carrier X anymore because they screwed this up or they screwed that up or I'm tired of this or I'm tired of that to where overnight it became, it got quiet um, because they were delivering on time. Um, but equally I would, as I traveled around the country and talked to various deliveries, you know, a common thing, go talk to the guys in the warehouse because you want to find out, are you getting treated well? Are we doing the right things? Are we loaded them well? Is the product coming in on right? And it'd always be like, yeah, Terry always shows up on Tuesdays break. I'm like, well, Terry, like, yeah, now we always get Terry coming in because the guys were always calling the same companies to carry the freight and it started to get a lot more consistent. And for me, the customer service aspect just went dead quiet. I mean, we were 98% on time. So it was, you know, that that's not a cheap on time level, um, but it certainly keeps things quiet from a customer standpoint. Oh my God, Justin has the best question. I was thinking the same thing from like a, oh shit, hold on. I'm gonna click on the wrong button and mess things up. Okay, wouldn't, uh, I thought this too. <laughs> Ryan, wouldn't it be easier for you guys all to get together and decide amongst each other to raise the rates without Ron knowing? I would love to let, let Justin call in and hear his philosophy on how that would work. And Ron would. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but Justin, I see where he's coming from because it's, it's to be like, it, you know, it's, if, if the market was going in the wrong direction, meaning that there was tighter capacity, I think that, you know, we had the opportunity to review our rates. I want to say every trimester, like we could go in and re-review and make sure that it was suitable. And we gave it to everybody else to have the opportunity. So, you know, I just, you, you can't really trust five other carriers to collude and try to raise, raise rates. And that's not going to be, that doesn't really have a long-term view. It's not how you build a business and build a supporting team. It's not, you, you'd be gambling for just a few percentage points for a very short period of time. So I, I would not play that game, Justin, wherever you're doing business, buddy. <laughs> no, but no, it's but like natural right. inclination is to think that like, hmm, here I go with my beard. I don't have one like Ron, but. I, I think one of the differences too, and I think it's a fair question from, from Justin, but Jair's right, somebody always snitches, but I made a point extremely early we had a meeting um, where I actually put these guys together to, cause you guys came up with the rules. I, I didn't come up with the rules to how to operate. And I remember it was, how do we build this? How do we do billing? How do we do everything else? And I was in my office and came in late in the afternoon. And I remember it was just everybody getting really wrapped up on, you know, how do I build accessorials and how do I deal this and how are we going to make sure this? And it was just basically like, look, I've not fucked anybody in this room. I'm not going to start we just have to trust each other and we've got to make it work. And it was kind of like, okay. And we got past that. You're, it, yeah. That was a hard part to get past Ron. Should I not trust you? And plus, I mean, it's not, if you want to start screwing around with rates across the board, it's not like I don't have access 
to industry-wide data anyway. And I could see like, what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't have to do it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, Carla brought up a great point, which is like, what, like voting off the island. Um, did you, no, Ron says no. He no. does not allow to be voted off. No, so I, you I can't to get along. Off the island. Um, and then, um, okay. I thought this too, Steve Lowe, which is Ryan, how'd you stay a hundred percent off the dat for sourcing? And my, let me, let me remind you guys that back in the day, cause this was a while ago, it's old enough now where we're not all bound by non-competes and the information stale. So we can talk about it. Um, but um, staying off the load boards at that time was like this. Whoa. Like right now, you get the bottom feeders on the load boards. You don't have carrier relationships. You're a new broker on the load boards. You're a new shipper. Now, like that is different. Back then, we lived and breathed off the load boards, right, Ryan? Or am I saying something wrong? Because I remember when we were like, no more load boards, and people were like, whoa. We we incentivized our carrier our carrier reps to build great relationships with their carriers. I'm, I we did not not we used load boards for customers that. Uh, weren't necessarily as good paying customers as others, you know, but when we had the business to support our ability to make sure that we would service the business with the carriers we trusted, you know, I would pay attention monthly of the number of carriers that we would use the debt to, to book. And then if they were one-time carriers, how expensive it is to set them up. And if, you know, are we doing business with them again? You know, what's the point? And I'm, then I'm paying attention to the carrier sales reps that are calling them. And why, you know, and the, but there is obviously a, a place and a time for load board carriers for the right shippers. Ron was not the right shipper for that. You know, again, you got everybody who's paying attention yeah. understands that yep. this is a game of $25, $50, $75 a load. It's not, you're, you're not living a glamorous life making $500, $1,000 spreads uh, very often. So it's a grinding business. And you have to be thoughtful about how you're going to service it. And the key is having great carrier relationships to service your customers. If you're going to treat your carriers like you don't care, they don't care either. Plain and simple. Yeah. Makes complete sense. Um, okay. Uh, of course, Matt, Matt, you are on fire today. Um, would you do this again? Um, thinking a broker grows away from this. And if you did, what aspect would you change? either from Ryan or from Ron, because Ron's been moving and shaking since then. This is kind of old news to him. This is like an old idea for him. But for us, we're like, yay, this is the cool thing. Ron, I think that no doubt you're obviously going to say yes. And I would say the same thing. I think that knowing the carriers better, knowing our 3PL partners better, uh, was a once in a lifetime, unfortunately, experience. You know, can we do it again? Certainly. But, um, you know, there's a lot of competitors out there ready to eat their young right now i mean the market is really really tough and there's not a lot of carriers out there that are making money or brokers for that matter so i'm not sure how that looks with some of the competitors that are in the landscape today but i would certainly give it my best effort to help a customer out that way and try to work through a philosophy that gives them a better long-term view and if i can explain that you know if gdp's you know every if 10 cents of every dollar is transportation and i can do it for five then you shouldn't look back unless you're managing a super regional landscape. So, you know, I think that those are good ways to sell it. He, you know, and again, he, Ron got the ability to tell his sales reps that are out selling to retailers, hey, I've got this at this price per can, you know, this price per bottle. 
And it, it, as soon as you, if you sell above that price, I've got you covered. It makes money. Like a sales team really appreciates understanding where the opportunity to be profitable sits. And I'm sure all of Ron's shareholders would agree. To a few of you who are still launching questions about the load board, I want to tell you guys that some people ratted each other out when they saw Ron's freight on a load board. <laughs> some people. It wasn't me. I didn't. Yeah. Um, because I'm a lawyer. I'm not on a load board. How would I know? Um, so the next question, Ron, we have to back up a little bit. Ron, again, why do you think this idea has not been anywhere else? Ryan and I haven't seen it. Anybody else who's watching this event said, like, I did this. You guys just rebranded. I just, nobody's saying. I, I think the difference for when I put this together, this wasn't a carrier-based initiative that they were coming to sell an idea. And usually, I mean, it's selling, whether it's managed freight or it's different things. And those are all good. You know, this was really reliant on me as the shipper, because I wrote the rules, I brought in the carriers and I said, do you want to work within this framework? Mm -hmm. um, and it was mutually beneficial. So it worked. Um, but you have to find a shipper that's willing to look at things in a different way and willing to challenge themselves as much as they're willing to challenge their partners. Because this was not a you know, and, and actually we were traditionally a just beat the shit out of people if you don't hit our service numbers. And that's just the way we operated because that's the way a lot of people operate. Yeah, um, it's kind of turned that on its head in that. Yeah, there was expectations for metrics and everything else, but it was a far more partner based conversation. Um, and I think that that's challenging for any shipper to get into those types of relationships. And somebody mentioned it earlier, but I mean, you've always got a boss you got to go to who's pissed yeah. off because something got fucked up. And how how do you respond with, yeah, it's okay, but I'm gonna deal with this partner. And that's where I think it's challenging. Um, somebody said something about, you know, would I do this again? I mean, Ryan's point, yeah. I think the one thing that I would try harder to do um, was probably expand it to bigger, to more carriers, but only because I would get more freight for the entire supply chain. Um, you know, the one thing that we didn't take enough advantage, we tried in small parts, um, but weren't as successful as I wished we could have been. Um, that if you can start to tie in and get rid of empty miles. And I've been, the, I, I put this in place in a subsequent place, um, a subsequent shipper. Um, and we tied a lot of inbound freight and then outbound freight. Um, so that kept the empty miles down, um, which really, really managed my prices a lot better. Um, but it also broadened the amount of carriers that my broker partners could find um, because they knew they were going to keep moving. And we became a shipper of choice um, because we would have outbound freight for them. We treated them well as far as getting them loaded, making sure that they could keep their detention down. Um, so that's Probably the one thing I would do is actually spend more time trying to broaden the approach to make it more beneficial for my partners. I think I just got lost. It could be because I'm out of wine. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, for the dumb lawyer of the group, because Ryan's like, oh, I get right. Wait, did you understand all that, Ryan? I try. Okay. I try. You want me to try to? I can't. I don't know. I can't explain. Says, okay. Let's break it down. Right. He says that he he would have broadened things to have more asset carriers because why, why, okay. When you're using brokers, why are you paying for the empty miles? 
No, I want to get rid of because I you pay for everything eventually. I mean, there's a profit margin. So if you're a company and your profit margin, whether it's 2% or 30%, I don't care. That's the way your business works. But if empty miles are happening, those are non-value added miles, which means nobody's earning on them. So if I can get rid of them, you earn on them, which means if you've got less trucks moving, less drivers moving, I can control my costs. And that's what I did at a subsequent okay. show. I had loads from the pack Northwest that would load with stuff for me, drop off for me and then get outbounds um, going east. My rates went down because I was handling more parts of the truck. So the carrier was able to control their rates better because they got guaranteed business. And then the broker controlled my rates better because they got better rates from the carrier. Makes sense. Um, that makes a lot more sense. Sorry. I'm, I'm not as experienced as you guys in this stuff. To me, this was a once in a lifetime idea that I was involved with and I thought it was so cool. And I haven't seen something yet um, like this. Uh, Ryan, what other areas, like if you were still in freight and you were to pitch this idea to other shippers, what would be the ideal freight that they would have? Obviously, it'd be truckload. Um, what other like features would you look for? I'm trying to help these. Well, I love, I love the consolidation yeah. of LTL even better, you know, and you start to hear someone who's a $10 million LTL spend, you start to do the math of, what regional rates look like, that sounds like an opportunity to find consolidation amongst shippers. But, you know, shippers again, oh, I don't want my freight to ride with the, my competitor's freight that happens to be also delivering to the same retailer. It's like, well, whatever. <laughs> so I just want to get really right there and make as much money as I can typically. But uh, I think that someone, in, someone has to be in Ron's type of a role with a more global view. A, a, a transportation manager is going to be looking behind looking behind him the whole way through and feel like he'll find his way out the door because he's not going to be able to add continuous value. Ron reconciled the initiative and understood that he was creating more value to his time and therefore to his uh, his organization. You know, and I, I just think that that's very resourceful. And anybody who's running a good team understands how to pull resources from other places that that's mutually beneficial. I mean, that's what he did. He basically pulled on us to think of thoughtful, be a thoughtful resource alongside of him as a thoughtful resource where two and two clearly equaled five or six. And I, I just don't, it seems simple to me, but I think that most shippers don't really have as close of an eye on logistics as they probably should until it's like, uh oh, now I've got a real financial issue. I've got competition. I need you to come in and drop rates when the smart boss might come in and say, hey, I actually want you to pay more. And then when we pay more, we'll have better service. We'll have less chargebacks. Yeah. We'll have less claims. We'll have less problems. We'll need less people. So it's, you know, it's just sort of how you do the math. And Ron's just thinking a little bit with a, with a better macro view than most shippers that are out there. Um, our friend, Andrew Teal. Ask yeah. Ron about eliminating LTL as a mode. Oh, do tell, Ron. It's no, a, a good Andrew and I argument. That's from, that's another show or another day. I'm getting blinded here. I know. And I love it. Are you even going to give us like a little bit for those of us who are like, hmm, oh, okay. Okay. We'll do no. another show then. And then May had a good show, a good question for you, which is, oh, this is juicy. Um, Ron, I love you, May. You're like stirring the pot. Uh, Ron, it sounds a whole lot like what Convoy is trying to pitch with their new program. Uh, what is your feedback on that? 
well, I think anybody that's watched your show for a bit knows my feedback. Um, I, I think what they're trying to do is they're at least trying to be clever. And I think the one thing I told Dan this when I talked to him, what makes him unique um, as a CEO for a carrier is that he's actually listening to the shippers and trying to come up with answers to shippers' problems. And that's where I absolutely agree with that approach because when I did the co-op, the entire carrier business, those five carriers worked to try to solve my problems. And in a lot of cases, they told me what my problems were because yeah. they were doing them. And I was able to validate that, yeah, this really is a problem. Let's go yep. solve it. And that's where, you know, with the guaranteed primary, it makes sense in that there's enough shippers that have said that the RFP process is a problem. I eliminated it through the co-op. I didn't have to do RFPs anymore because they were not value added. They took too much time. It was just, we can have a conversation about rates, not a blind RFP. It's very different. It's like Ryan said, if something happened in the network, you know, like this year, that would be a conversation that like, holy shit, we can't survive if we keep doing this way. Your customers are going to suffer. It's like, that's a practical conversation. That's not a, hey, I'm getting screwed by this broker because I'm not. I can see what the rates are doing. Um, but equally, if, and I can tell you, there's one carrier that was supposed to be on here today um, that when rates dropped pretty precipitously outbound California, they came in and they literally did a give back on like, look, I'm just going to be honest with you you would take care of us and have taken care of us. We're just going to show you here. And actually they, they credited us um, a pretty significant amount. Um, and it, I didn't push them. It wasn't anything. It was like, look, you know, if you treat people right and fair and actually as business partners, not just, you know, in words, you know, if you treat them fair, then usually I think karma will come in and you'll be taken care of. And, you know, when I was there, all five of those carriers were still there. And it's not that we, it wasn't all, you know, roses and not fights and everything else. We still had arguments and things still went sideways. But I think the difference was, is that we could at least have arguments and disagreements on the business as opposed to that underlying, I'm going to screw you on rates or this, that, and the other. It just, those things really went away. It was just more of, they were business issues as opposed to cost issues, which for me is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, makes sense. Um, next week, we actually, Ron, next week, thanks to you, we have a surprise show. Um, we are going to talk about um, how brokers and carriers vet shippers um, mm. and the best way to go about that. That was Ron's idea. Thank you, Ron. Um, and uh, and if you have, if anybody hasn't noticed, Ron basically runs this show. Um, we got Ryan out of retirement. So thank you for joining us, Ryan. Um, hold on. Let me little my closing. <laughs> he came out of retirement, Ryan. I hope you come back on. I think this is going to be a very popular show. I'm really happy that we talked about this. And I hope that somebody comes back and says, we did Ron's idea. And people, you can hire Ron to help you do this stuff. I know, Ron. I'm making you feel uncomfortable. Happy Friday. Um, don't kill too many animals this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take care. Let's end let's end the broadcast.